Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, friend of this show, did you know that it's the 10-year anniversary of one of the greatest sound bites in the past 22 years? First of all, what do you think's on top of that list in terms of sound bites, sports sound bites that are still with us today in the past 22 years? What's on top of the list? Um, playoffs would just sneak into that. Yes. From Jim Mora. That would be November of 2001. Uh, practice from Allen Iverson uh, would be a part of that as well. Ten years ago today, January of 2013, Trying to think of what would what would have made actually. That I take list. that I take that back. That would be eleven years ago today. So January of twenty twelve, I believe, is when it was. January of twenty twelve. Yes. You got me, JM. Being on my thinking cap Pete, on today. Pete what Weber. Pete Weber's the bowler. <laughs> the bowler's famous. Um, who you you I am or whatever he said. I've got to get Eddie to rehash that. That's that's one of the best, certainly, of not just the past ten to eleven years, but I think going all the way back twenty two. Significant to say the least. There you go. That makes if that makes sense to you. It does. Yes, sir. Hey, where do we start here? How about collegiately speaking? We'll get to the Colts in just a second with you, but. Last three games, and I talked about this at length yesterday with with IU, this looks like a real, and I mean a real corner turner. Maybe one game, two games, not so much, but in the fashion in which they've done and the level of competition in which they've played, have we seen that corner turned? It kind of reminds me of Tony Dungy in his days of, uh, of the 2006 Colts all of a sudden got good defensively after being god-awful at the right time of the year. And Tony's like, you do that three games in a row, you have my attention. Kind of the same thing for Indiana. You've done that three games in a row. Again, there obviously seems to be there's a tier that Purdue is on, a tier that most everybody else is on, and then you get to the back end of the league where you have a Nebraska, you have a Minnesota this year. But you've done that against other similar teams that are – potential, likely possible NCAA tournament teams, you tend to have my attention. So after a couple of weeks of ugly, it's been a couple of weeks of pretty good, and now we'll see if Indiana can keep that going. Yeah, that's uh, coming up tomorrow night, 9 o'clock to start in Minneapolis against the Golden Gophers of Minnesota. Boilermakers back at number one. What are the odds, you think, that Purdue and IU play coming up on February the 4th and Purdue is still number one? Well, let's see. They've, Purdue has got Michigan State at home, and they got to go to Michigan before that. Um, and then there's one more game in between before Indiana and Purdue play each other on February the 4th. So I would say the odds would be 50-50, just because Purdue being 5-0 and on the road in the Big Ten is impressive. At some point, somebody's going to trip you up. Um, just cause they get, I mean, look at the Maryland game. It was close, closer than anybody thought it would be. Uh, on Sunday. So let's say 50-50 shot produced till number one. So Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Does it concern you at all that maybe not so much on the road, but did that Maryland game at the end, that being a one-possession win, concern you? Because I've given props, and I think props have been due with what they've done on the road and those one-possession possession wins because those are those are tough, no doubt about that. But anything you saw in that Maryland game that maybe would speak to, oh, wait a minute, they're still evolving, even if they're back at number one? Um. Concern, no, just because they are so far ahead of where I thought they would be. I thought Purdue was going to be a top 20 team this year, not a top spot in the nation team this year. Um, and so at 19 and 1, there's hardly anything that gives you pause that says, uh oh, this is freaking me out. No, they're still so far ahead of the game. Um, are, are they such a dominant team where you are ultra confident? where you, you know, hey, they're definitely a Sweet 16 team. 
they're definitely a Final Four team. You say these things as they should be a Sweet 16 team. I think they can be a Final Four team. Uh, but it's but it's not like you're going to say that in definitive terms even a month from now. And so, no, to me, that just speaks to the nature of the Big Ten. Well, yes, Purdue's body of work is significantly better than anybody else in the conference, as evidenced by the fact they're the only Big Ten team ranked in the top 25 this week. Um, but, you know, if, if Purdue has an average day, which I think Sunday was for them, they can be beaten. You know, Rutgers proved that a few weeks back, and Maryland nearly got them on Sunday. Hey, Greg, do you think this is all what we have seen, especially in the Big East, as to what Thad Mata expected in year number one being back with Butler? Nobody expects 30 points in the road. Even And, again, I know UConn's one of the better teams in the league. Uh, I think a lot of the bracketology would have them, like, as a, as a three-seed right about now. And, and it's, a, it's a good Big East this year because of what – Marquette has been able to do and, and what Creighton, I think, can do. They got their pieces back and what Xavier has been about so far this season. But you st- even if you're going to be middle of the table at best, if not towards the last two or three teams in the league, nobody likes 30-point losses on the road. There's been, what, some 20-point losses at home in league play. I can't imagine this is what Thad Mata expected. Now, they've dealt with their fair share of injuries. Let's, let's, let's give them that. But I'm sure Thad thought they'd be a little further along than they are at this point. Yeah, that, the, the margin of those yeah. losses, not even yep. being competitive, is, is red flag worthy. There's no question. And let's face it, it's really, it's really more so like the St. John's result because St. John's kind of limped into that game and they absolutely thumped Purdue. Or, I'm sorry, Butler. Um, losing at UConn, hey, UConn's been a top 10 team for a good chunk of the year. That's a little less surprising. The margin of any anytime it gets to 30 in major college basketball and, you know, and you're playing a conference foe, that's a problem. So, Greg Rakestraw with us. You and Bob Lovell had the sectional pairings for the ladies, I believe, this past Sunday. Anything stand out as far as sectionals and matchups might be concerned? No, I mean, you, you always get the interesting mix of, of the sectionals where Hey, the top teams won't see each other in the championship game or in some of the sectionals where, you know, like for example, four of the top six teams in the state, and those rankings may have updated, uh, but going into the weekend, four of the top six sectionals, or four of the top six teams in the state in 4A are all in the same sectional. Noblesville, Helen and Southeastern, Zionsville, Fishers, none of those would play each other until the semifinals, which sets up for a great couple of days of basketball up in Noblesville uh, the first two, uh, the first weekend in February. Uh, you've got other sectionals where, like, say, Bedford, North Lawrence, and Jennings County play each other on the first night. That's always the random nature that you have of the draw. Um, but there will be great games across the state from the girls' side starting next week with the state tournament. And I can guarantee you the boys' draw will look the exact same way when we have that one on February the 19th. Ah, yeah. So down the stretch they come for the fellas as well. Ben Davis still the most impressive right now. And besides the Giants and what they've accomplished so far, and uh, you saw Addicts in that city tournament, that's that's a hell of a story right there, that 10-point win over Cathedral as well. That is the biggest surprise win of the year so far. And and Addicts is a quality team. Desmond Briscoe is, is a is – a, uh, as a really solid high school post player, as a sophomore, a lot of room to grow in his game. Uh, what Ron Rutland III has done, I'm good friends with his dad, the way he has developed his game over the last couple of years, is a sight to see he is a junior. I know there's some Division One interest in IUPUI. Obviously, dad's a modern in UND, wants to take a look at him at the Division Two level, but he, he's been really good for Chris Hawkins' team. But that caught a lot of people's attention, the fact that Addicts beat Cathedral, because a lot of folks and by a lot of folks, I mean me, yeah. thought Cathedral would have their way with Addicts last night. And it was nice that Addicts, as the second seed, made the championship game, but that probably, you know, the thought was that's probably a 20-point win for Cathedral. Obviously, it didn't go that way, which sets up a really interesting matchup on Saturday that the city and county champs play each other in Addicts and Ben Davis. And that just happens to be the game that I have on Saturday night that is preceded by Carmel, who just beat number 3 Brownsburg, hosting number one Ben Davis on Friday night. So I'll see the Giants both games this weekend, and they both now have really good storylines because of Attic's surprise victory uh, a night ago. By the way, I just saw this on ESPN, just flashed on the screen. Xavier Booker of Cathedral has been named a McDonald's All-American for the East squad. If anybody hadn't heard that, I hadn't seen that today. He certainly has that potential. Um, You know, he really played well 
January, February, March last year has not kind of hit that high peak. Um, you know, this year in terms of his high school season, that's a really high bar to get to. But in terms of what he has athletically, what he has from a shooting perspective, what he has from a recruiting profile, what he has in his NBA future, because, yes, I think he has one of those, he is unquestionably a McDonald's All-American. So what do you think about everybody trashing up Josh Allen to this point right now? To people here, I mean, wouldn't you take it still? I mean, would you not take it in a moment's notice? John, uh, I what, know that there's what, disappointment there, but when we went through the Manning era here, and in the early stages in the postseason, there was disappointment. We all know how that turned out. But, man, trashing Josh Allen right now is seemingly sport via social media. And I'd put up my hand right now and say, okay, well, send it this direction. Uh, you want to you wanna name off quickly what year Peyton Manning won his first AFC championship game, yeah. what year of his career that was? That would be year number nine. Yeah, nine. That took yeah. Place I, I thought I, I thought it was I thought it was eight, but yeah, nine's right. Yeah. Uh, and and so Josh just completed what his fifth season um, in the National Football League. Buffalo's going to be fine. Listen, I know they're disappointed. And did they play well on Sunday? No. And do the other two teams that they have lost in the last couple of years have quarterbacks that are kind of at a similar stage in, in terms of their age and time in the league? Yes. But it's not like, you know, Buffalo's guys are all getting long in the tooth or Buffalo needs to scrap what they're doing. No, and clearly in both conferences, there was there was a, a, a gap from, say, the top three on down to four. It played out that way in terms of the seedings in the AFC with Kansas City, the Bengals, and Buffalo. And what's to say that if the Buffalo and, and Cincinnati game had been played without an incident in Week 17 – Maybe that game that was on Sunday was played in Cincinnati instead. You know, the Bengals have been playing so well for the last three months. I could have easily seen them at home beating Buffalo and then hosting that game and flipping the seeds two and three for the game that we saw on Sunday. So maybe that wasn't that big of an upset, the Bengals winning in Buffalo. In the NFC, even though they weren't seeded that way, I think clearly Eagles, Niners, and Cowboys were the best three teams in the NFC, and all those teams kind of played out to that point. So those, those games of the two better teams, Bengals-Bills, Niners-Cowboys, all played out to be a little more competitive. Maybe that Bills-Bengals game wasn't as competitive as it should have been. Hey, Greg, anyway, yeah, and, right. and, 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 anyway, I mean, the whole thing about Josh Allen, again, I'd, I'd take him here. He's going to be just fine. Bills are going to be just fine. Before I let you go, final thing, if you were going to name, at least the names we've heard so far being interviewed or going to be interviewed, who would be your top three for the next head coach of the Colts? I want to to see Kafka back in here. I would like to see D'Amico Ryans in here at this point. And I would probably lean toward Shane Steichen in that top three as well. What about you? No, um, well, I mean, I'm Dan Quinn all the way, baby. But he's going to go. He's going to take a gig someplace else, isn't he? What do you think? I have I have no idea. I'm just guessing. Uh, I'm Dan Dan Quinn is 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 where I'm going with, especially after the whole. Harbaugh thing uh, never really at all got off the ground. Is Jeff Saturday, you think, going to be in a top three here? Well, I would imagine that Jeff Saturday is going to at least get a second interview. That would be my guess. Um, and so if, if you include that in a – I almost kind of put him in a, in a separate category, as in he is a default going to get another look. If you're asking me for three people that I would go through again after you know outside candidates coming in – those are three that I would give you. So Greg Rakestraw has got you covered with what coming up this weekend. You told us a little bit earlier what, what you're already doing. Is there anything else you wanted to add to your list? Uh, listening to the JMV Takeover on B105.7. You didn't call in on Saturday night. I prepared for that, though. I had did it prepared. You, did, you, did you have Redman all queued up and I, I did. forgot to call in? I did. It was ready to go. So so what is uh what 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 is this week's theme? Like can I can I slide that nineties hip hop and R and B in or is that completely off the charts? I would imagine we go back to the eighties this weekend, so that's yeah. normally how it goes. But yeah, it was usually I'm I'm dialed in other than when you go all yacht rock. So like I treat a lot yacht rock like sushi. Like a little bit of yacht rock is a good thing. I'm still hungry if I have just a meal that's entirely sushi. The same thing with Yacht Rocks. A little Yacht Rocks, okay. You go six hours to Yacht Rock, I'm probably going another direction. Here's what's funny about that, though. That is one of the most popular that I do 
It is all night. Like the 90s is too. I mean, the 90s, I felt bad because I didn't get to a lot of these these requests. Because that's not easy. Especially on a 90s night like that, it just is nonstop for six hours. And then you got jerks that send you text messages and don't call the show. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll be back on 6 o'clock coming up on Saturday night. This is Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Have a great rest of the week, buddy. See you, pal. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, in search of a win, snapping a seven-game streak would be nice to see the Pacers do. Second of the back-to-back for the Bulls at Gamebridge Fieldhouse tonight against the Pacers. And from Bally Sports, Indiana, Jeremiah Johnson joins us. I know it's been easier said than done, and I'm not out of whack because if you lose anybody with this group, it is going to be tough with a schedule that they've been through the last seven, but certainly we have seen what Tyrese Halliburton has meant to this team, and the effects of that have been glaring through these past seven losses. They have, John. After that New York game, there was some question about whether this would hurt or whether this would hurt Tyrese Halliburton's all-star chances, and I hate to say it, but it probably just solidified them because you see what the Pacers were able to accomplish in the first half of the season, and then in the second half, they've yet to taste victory. And that Knicks game may be a little bit of a turning point. The first Knicks game in December um, prompted a change in a positive way. They won 8 of 10 since losing that Knicks game. And now, without Tyrese Halliburton, they're really struggling. And they're also going against some teams right now that are playing their best basketball at the time they're they're facing the Pacers. Now, the Phoenix game I'll, maybe would be an exception. I really think that should have been a Pacers win. That's one that they'll look back on in which they – had back or had another opportunity to just close that one out. But the Grizzlies, the Bucks, the way the Thunder are playing right now, even without Jokic, I think the Nuggets shot 50% from three, and they've only lost three home games all season. So it's a combination of things without Tyrese Halliburton and playing some really good teams and then going on the road for a challenging trip. It's it's kind of the perfect storm right now. I, w- I would make an argument. We, we talked at length about that, that seven-gamer. That nearly two weeker out west early in the season, you can make an argument that even with you know the magnitude of the stars that set out this, that that trip without Halliburton was even more so challenging than what we had talked about that longer out west trip early in the season. Yeah, it, it felt challenging. I mean, yeah. you've got the afternoon game in Milwaukee, and then it ends with that back to back at Denver and at Phoenix, and. Uh, the, again, the Suns game is the one that you, you look to tonight's game against Chicago with some positivity because you played better. Putting T.J. McConnell in the starting lineup, it definitely made the Pacers look and feel a little bit more like themselves. Uh, it, it's a lot that they've been asking for Andrew Nemhard to guard some of these elite guards on one end and then also to try to run the offense on the other end. And I don't know that he's as equipped to play the fast-paced, fast-break style of basketball that Halliburton is. T.J. McConnell is a little more so. He has more experience, and there's no situation that he'll be afraid of. Not that Nemhard's afraid at all, but I think that it was a great move by, by Rick Carlisle to put him in the starting lineup. And as long as Andrew Nemhard is healthy, he's under the weather yesterday and was not able to practice, but – I do like having the two ball ball handlers on the court at the same time. It just affects your backup rotation. Now, that's bit. that's to me what it affects. And, and Rick Carlisle has been very outspoken about how much he embraces having McConnell come off the bench because he just provides uh, a consistent level of energy that is nothing against anybody else. But this is really across the league when it comes to energy. He just provides a level of energy that nobody else can bring off the bench, and you miss that greatly. You do, but if you were able to start with him and maybe play him five or six minutes in the first quarter to start with that energy, get him some rest, and then maybe play some second quarter minutes with Bennett Mather and Chris Duarte, uh, your backup bigs, I think that can work. And so that makes Andrew Nemhard's availability really key going into this game against Chicago. And also, you have to worry a little bit about the wear and tear on McConnell because uh, he plays end line to end line, and if you're asking him to play 38 to 40 minutes – and then you've got a back-to-back tonight with Chicago, then tomorrow in Orlando. He's not a robot. He's not a machine. I mean, he could get tired. He did even acknowledge yesterday that if he was starting, if he knows he's playing a little bit more, he may not go for quite as many steals 
80, 89 feet from the basket, and you would understand that. But he's going to be a pest all over the floor, at least in the half court. And as you mentioned, he'll bring that intensity, and I think that's what this team does need to start games because first quarters – have been problematic, even with Tyrese Halliburton. So, Jeremiah Johnson of Bally Sports Indiana, Pacers and the Bulls, the first of two back-to-back coming up later on tonight at Gambridge Fieldhouse. I'm curious what you think is at the top of the list of being missing when Halliburton's out of the lineup. And you can talk about scoring because there is no doubt he is a go-to. He's a closer a closer type of force, uh, certainly at the end of games, that you value a great deal. But I would argue... In terms of miles, certainly, but even a guy like Buddy Heald, the ball just doesn't get to them via the pass where it has so far this year when Halliburton has been there for them to be the most successful. And those are the two guys that stand out to me. It just looks like it is certainly more awkward for them both trying to produce in a way that we have expected without Halliburton out there delivering those passes. John, you can just look at the assist numbers over the last seven games and in the seven prior. They're getting, you know, 28 to 30 assists, no problem. And over this seven-game losing streak, you're looking up late third, early fourth quarter, and they've yet to reach 20. And one of the things that's a true credit to Tyrese Halliburton is he makes some of these assists look so easy. You you play a game and you just take for granted he's going to end up with between 10 to 12. And that's not normal. And that's not – you can't expect – whoever takes his place to be able to do that. And I think that without his three-point shooting on the floor, it has made teams focus a little more on Buddy Heald. We've seen the chemistry that Halliburton and Heald have together. And without – you know, Halliburton's not been able to create for Buddy quite as – well, he's not been on the court, but Buddy's not been able to get as many good open looks. And and also Miles Turner, um, he's been the recipient of so many great passes – and Tyrese Halliburton has done a, such a good job of making him a part of the offense, which especially inside maybe wasn't really uh, the last few years. And so that's you're, I think you're spot on, but the Buddy Heald aspect is big because when he's going into a game and you're almost counting on four or five three-pointers and then some of these games he's at one or two, that's a big difference. Yeah, no doubt about that. JJ joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Other things that in this seven-gamer especially has been missing, not necessarily connectable, relatable to Halliburton, but just things that have been missing from when this team was playing at its best this year. Yeah, so I mentioned the assists, and there have been just far too many turnovers. And, you know, it's another credit to Darius Halliburton. The way he plays, as aggressive as he is, as fast paces he runs the offense, he's not cautious or careful, but his assist numbers are low. And so he just continues to make the right play. And some of these games on the road trip, you're looking down and you're seeing 24 points, 22 points. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not good that Rick Carlisle is saying this, but it's the second or third time in the last two years he's given me this line in a pregame interview with it that are – throwing the ball around, hitting the no-smoking signs, and I think you'd appreciate that, some of the old gyms. I think the younger generation doesn't even know what he's talking about because there are no there are no-smoking no signs in gyms anymore. Back in the day, you'd have this sign in the corner above maybe the tunnel that would say exit or the no-smoking signs, and that's what he felt like he was watching over the last couple of weeks without Halliburton is you're just throwing the ball away. Uh, willy-nilly is another one of his terms. So they've got to be – They've got to be aggressive but more careful with the basketball. And, again, that's a fine line, and it's something that Halliburton does so well. Um, The other thing that I think that we saw in different stretches of the last seven games was we saw Benedict Matherin start, and we're going to see this in the future with regularity. But I think Rick Carlisle is comfortable right now with him coming off the bench and easing into the game with the second unit, being the focal point. And then if he plays the closing minutes, that's – that's fantastic. That's probably what you want. So he started him a few of those games with Halliburton injured. He brought Ben Bennett and Matherin off the bench toward the end. And I think it is important to have Matherin on the court with McConnell as much as you can because they do uh, a really good job of playing together. So that's the thing I'll probably keep watching as the season goes along is the minutes off the bench for Matherin, then compared to the minutes with the starters and whether he can continue to impact the game, not just in a scoring perspective. We know he can attack the basket. He can get to the free throw line. And his scoring average off the bench is phenomenal. But maybe just see if he can work on improving the all-around portion of his game. How do you view, at this point, Chris Duarte? 
and what we have seen, and, and in particular, you know, over these games, certainly in which she's returned, and, and over these games where obviously in the last seven we have not seen a level of success with this team. I just have to think big picture and think back to what we saw last season. And he's not a different person, not a different player, but the circumstances are different. It's a little more crowded at his position. And even when he's on the court, he's maybe on the court with Matherin or he's on the court with Buddy Heald. And those are two guys that were not on the court with him last season. So that I think as much as anything, in addition to coming back from the injury and getting his conditioning and being at 100% health, I think just the fit, and, and knowing exactly what his role is when he's on the court has been maybe the biggest issue. It felt like most of last season that when he was on the court, you know, the Pacers dealt with a number of injuries earlier in the season. He was in maybe the Buddy Heald role. He was the guy that was going to get those looks. He was confident. He was knocking down those three-point shots. He was also attacking the basket. And it does feel like he's more the second option or the third option when he's playing now. And I think that's affecting the numbers. Maybe that's affecting the confidence a little bit. But what I think you know, you have to caution yourself is to don't take too much into the what you've seen over the last three weeks and think back to what you saw last season and know he can be that player. But it, you're right. It, they need a little bit more from him right now. But I do think since that Memphis game when he had the 25 points, and it wasn't a perfect road trip by any means for him, but I saw a lot more flashes over the last week than I did the two or three weeks prior to that. And in just talking with him, I can tell you that – in late December, early January, he was pressing. He's, he's one of my favorite players on the team to talk to off the court. And I could just tell he was stressed. And in talking with him over the last week, I'm seeing him smile more. I'm seeing that, you know, that kind of that look in his eye. So I think he's due for a big, big stretch coming up. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of those dudes have been stressed in a similar fashion over these seven games because you were going so well. That was on the heels, I believe, of a a four of five, maybe even a six of seven type of deal. And then they lose seven in a row, and it it came so quick. It looks like over the seven-game losing skid span, there's a lot of stress individually that you can see on the court at times. Yeah, absolutely. I I was at a function with some fans last night and Jalen Smith, and I was doing an interview where I was – Strictly not asking anything for our television coverage. I was doing an interview just for, you know, the digital marketing side of things and asking about the fans and about being in Indiana. And, you know, two different times Jalen Smith wanted to say, well, I know we're not winning as much as we should be or we're not winning as much as we were. And that wasn't what I was even asking him. So I can tell it's weighing on players' minds a little bit. And that's why I do think this this back-to-back is really important. You're now two games under 500, and you do have this – light at the end of the tunnel when you're seeing Halliburton do more practice to think next week's a possibility, but at some point in February, you'll get your leader back, but you can't give up too much ground before that. And and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at, Mem- at uh, Memphis and Milwaukee coming up this weekend, knowing what a challenge that's going to be. And so the Pacers need to, you know, bring the energy tonight, feed off the energy from the home crowd. Hope you can catch Chicago, maybe a little tired since they played last night and, and try to just, feel better about yourself getting on that plane tonight with a win because seven starts to become a pattern and you can start pressing and you can start stressing and you can look at the standings and you can say two weeks ago you were in sixth and if you lose tonight you'll be in tenth and so these guys are still focused on wanting to achieve something this year it's easy for fans and media to take the last two weeks and say okay now do you change your direction that's not something that those guys think about for one second they want to win they want to be in the playoffs think about a guy like buddy Heald. i mean he's never been in the playoffs and he wants to do that and he wants to do that this season listen i'm with you on that too i am i and in my my angle hadn't changed at all because i i when you lose somebody like that you know that this is probably going to be the case and really with this team there's so there's such a lack of a margin for error that any kind of loss could end up kind of derailing you. And with you know something of the magnitude of Halliburton like this, especially considering the games they were playing, we knew this was going to be a rough stretch. I look back at that Friday night on the 13th against Atlanta. I mean, that should have been a win. And, and that's one that you, you make this look 
you know, not as bad. That Phoenix game that you're talking about should have been a win, honestly, uh, for them if they would have played better. This all doesn't look as bad if you squeeze out a couple there that you absolutely should have, and they didn't. Yeah, Atlanta and Phoenix are the two games of the last seven where if you just had those, you'd feel like you're treading water a little bit, and now you can be guilty of feeling like you're drowning a little bit. But I brought up that Knicks game to start our conversation from December, and I remember what I felt like after that game and thinking, how many times were they getting close and having an opportunity and then they weren't able to finish? And I don't think anyone could have predicted they would have responded after that game by winning at Boston, at Miami, and winning 8 of 10. And so if you, at some point next week or around the All-Star break and whenever, if you get Halliburton back and you go on a future stretch of winning 8 of 10 or 9 of 11, you know, you're still in a good spot, but you just can't keep losing all the games before that happens. And so that's why I think this game tonight against Chicago is really, really important. It is. All right, so Halliburton was, was back yesterday. I mean, you know, obviously he wasn't you know anything contact or anything like that, but uh, he was back, and what other injuries besides the sickness you were talking about with Nimhart might the Pacers be dealing with tonight we'll learn about prior to the game? Yeah, I just think uh, Andrew Nemhart's the one you're watching. He was questionable before that Phoenix game with a little bit of an illness, so maybe he wasn't 100%. You get back from that trip, and he was not able to practice yesterday. So we'll see if he's able to play. And Halliburton, to your original question, I thought it was good just seeing him at shoot-around on Friday in Denver and participating with his teammates. And yesterday, um, as Rick Carlisle said, did some five-on-zero, no real contact. But he told me on Friday, and I don't know if anybody saw on the broadcast, that the knee is fine, nothing to worry about. So while he's getting that elbow back to a position where he can play, He can still shoot with his right arm. He can still work on his conditioning. So you would hope that the lead-in to being able to play once the elbow is good um, would be a little bit quicker. And the schedule next week helps. It's It's been a struggle because it's also been Halliburton out and a compact schedule. But after Sunday's game, you do have Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off, and then games three of the next four nights for all of those at home. And so... Um, if you're optimistic, uh, which we tend to be, you know, you look at that as maybe a chance you'll see him, but we won't really know for sure till maybe the end of the week or maybe even next Monday after this weekend's games to see how it's feeling. And, and you hope that elbow continues to get better. And like I said, over the next four, if that's how many is out, <laughs> win a couple if you can, and then you'll be okay. And you'll be feeling good about things once he's able to return, but no other injuries. And the other one to watch is that, Rick Carlisle said Daniel Tice practiced yesterday, would not play tonight, but I will be interested to see if he's practicing and he's not on the injury report anymore, what role he could have. I could envision a scenario where maybe he doesn't get big minutes, but if you need a rebound, he's a guy that can go get a rebound, and that's plagued this team at times this season as well. And no doubt about that, too. What exactly did he do where he's missed this much time? I think it was a nagging injury that it either developed in uh, the world play that he had over the summer. And then he came into camp and it was, I think it was one of those things where, you know, you could try to play through it, but it would also be better to go and and do a little procedure. And then, you know, you'd have a longer rehab time and that's what he did. So um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the exact specifics of the injury, but I do know that, uh, well, while it felt like the first couple months of the season, he was on the roster, but I never considered him part of the team. Over the last month, he's been a part of everything, and it just it feels like Daniel Tice Pacer is something you might be seeing at some point moving forward. And Rick Carlisle hasn't ruled him out for any particular time except for this game tonight, and and he was able to practice. And so um, this is a guy that's done a lot in the league, and the Pacers have seen him from the Celtics and other teams that – He's a veteran presence, and you need all those that you can get right now at this point in the season. Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports Indiana. So the the five on zero, what are they doing, the five-man weave there? What the hell's happening? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's quite the five-man weave. You know, they do. I do remember back in the day doing a lot of fast-break offense drills. I don't know if in Greene County they did that, but uh, they want to work on getting the ball out and going, and so – it works against zero, and then you put some defense on the floor, and then it, you know, you're filling in your lanes and your spacing and that kind of thing. So my guess is that's the the five on zero that he's talking about, and even in some of the half court, just going through sets and and maybe out of bounds plays and things like that. Do you guys in Peru do uh, three on two, two on one all the time? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. Well, I love well, three on two, two on one. Yeah, 11 man fast break. Uh, pretty oh, similar yeah. to that as well, but I love that. Me too. JJ, you, what's you it? You got to stay on the court as long as possible. If you kept getting the rebound, you never had to leave the court in the 11 man fast break. Yeah, I just, you know, and when we got back with a two on one thing, I just like uh, guard the guy closer to the basket and let that dude take a jumper that's broke as a joke. That's how you stay on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And make sure you're playing against guys that are teammates that are broke broke as jokes. What time you guys? 6.30? What time you guys go tonight? Yep. I'm in the parking garage right now. We'll be on the air at 6.30 with Eddie. And it's the first time wow. all year I've had to pack on the way to the arena and do the home road back-to-back. So we'll get out of here just before that snow comes in uh, in the wee hours, and, and we'll be in Florida tomorrow. So hope everybody enjoys the likely snow day. I believe you guys have missed out on, on both the uh, snow events so far. Have you not? Yeah, missed out. Once in Miami and once in Orlando. Yeah. So po- positive scheduling break there. Yeah, no doubt about that, too. Two hours early before the broadcast. I'm telling you what, does uh, does Jamie and Rick Fusion and the gang know how dedicated you are to your craft here? That's impressive. No, technically, 445 is our dinner meeting, and from that point forward, there's not a lot of stopping. So I like to tell people sometimes a lot of people do a tour of kind of how the, how the night works. Once I walk in at 445, there's – Barely time for a pit stop, if you know what I mean. But uh, we'll we'll be going nonstop until until about 10, and then we'll be heading to the airport. Do you eat dinner at 4.45? I do, yeah. Yeah, that's like some MCL stuff right there. (laughs) What do you guys eat? Exactly. What do you guys eat there? Uh, Well, it changes on a nightly basis, but I always have a salad, and then I'll debate whether I'd like the heavy stuff sitting on me uh, during the course of the day. Yeah, you don't want to. You want to feel like you're about ready to pop out there, do you? Yeah. See, I, there's. Yeah. Then they added the ice cream machine last season, so that's been a positive development as well. So sometimes I'll go healthy on a salad, and then I'll have a little bit of ice cream. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. That'd be a problem. Uh, eating in front of people, a and then b that that is a road game. That'd be tough. That'd be tough on my. <laughs> my insides <laughs> yeah. alright buddy we'll be watching later right. on tonight you know that well done as always All right. thank you John it is a JJ Valley Sports Indiana Jeremiah Johnson whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you One of the better stories in college basketball right now, and I could not be more proud of my friend, just like me, an OG of Eastern High School. I believe he is the class of 1995, um, has been around as a former IU manager, and is now at the helm at Florida Atlantic. His Owls are ranked 21st in the nation. First time that the school has ever been ranked in college basketball. Winners of 18 consecutive. Friend of the show, their head coach, Dusty May is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. There is so much good right there. I did not know, Dusty, where to begin. Well done. Well, John, first of all, appreciate you having me on. It's been a while. It has been a while. I am so proud of you, brother. I mean, well done. I, and I mentioned this. We'll backpedal and, and let a lot of people learn even more about you. But I always look at you as a story of somebody that just stayed after it. I mean, you kept your head down, you coached, you did what you needed to do, and you got that opportunity. And I'll be damned if you're not taking full advantage of that at Florida Atlantic right now. It's just awesome to see. And I know a lot of people around here, a lot of people around here with that particular work ethic as well and admire that. Uh, They like what they're seeing. And hopefully this introduces your program and this team to a lot of folks that maybe did not know too much about it because they're fun as hell to watch. Yeah, we have a really good group, and, and like you said, John, we our, our players have a very similar mindset where they're hard workers, they're great teammates, and they love the game. And, and we've got a couple guys that spend time in Indiana, and, and they're probably our our, our guys that, that uh, play and work the hardest. So it's it's been a long journey, but it's been a blast. Very very fortunate to do what what I'm able to do. I believe John L. Davis is one of those you're speaking of. I had 20 in that that win to win your 18th straight over UTEP uh, a couple of days ago. Correct. Yeah, and he had 36 a couple weeks ago uh, against UAB uh, before UAB started grilling a little bit. So, yeah, he's had a great year. 
Uh, he, he continues to improve. He played a 21st century in Gary. And then we have Nick Boyd, who played at Moscow up in Crown Point, a, a prep school uh, ran by Dave Maravella. So uh, we've got a little bit of Midwestern flavor down here. So Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, the Owls, again, 21st ranked in the nation. He is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I watched you guys play on ESPNU against Western Kentucky, and that was in a tough place to go no matter who you are in Bowling Green in getting that win. The rest of the conference in Conference USA, what, what's that look like to those that maybe haven't paid a great deal of attention here in Big Ten country? I think there's 32 or 34 conferences now. And Conference USA is, is, is ranked 10th, and it's the best it's been uh, since Memphis and John Calipari have been in the league. So it's, it's actually not a, a good year to, to have your best year uh, because of, of the balance of the league and, and how competitive it is. But um, North Texas, obviously, their perennial champ, uh, championship contender, UAB, uh, Western Kentucky has a very talented roster. Charlotte's a good basketball team. UTEP, the team we just played, they're they're really close to having an amazing season. They've just lost a couple games in overtime and by one point. So um, the depth from top to bottom is uh, it's daunting, uh, but our guys have handled it well, and we're almost at the midpoint. Uh, so 20-game slate. It's kind of an old-school 20-game season, uh, which is a, a marathon. But uh, so far, so good. I want to double all the way back in a second to where you're the manager at IU and even further maybe um, at Eastern as we're both uh, Eastern Green proud, Eastern Green Thunderbirds. But I'm assuming when you were with Mike White at Louisiana Tech, that that probably gave you a little bit of knowledge of what you were working with and now against at Florida Atlantic. When you first took this job, was it a slam dunk direction where you wanted to go? How was the program then compared to where you have it and really have it, Dusty, for the first time right now? No, John, to be honest, uh, when the job came open, obviously Brian, our athletic director, we had worked together at Louisiana Tech and won a couple championships, and he was with us day to day. And then obviously working for his brother for seven years, um, knowing his family well. When, when the job came open, he called immediately after we were eliminated from the NCAA tournament. And I, I wasn't really excited about it other than it was in Florida and the, the, the transition would be seamless outside of hoops. Um, I wasn't even going to interview. I was really happy in Florida. The boys were going into high school and junior high, and we were settled in in Gainesville, and, and I loved it there. They took great care of us. But uh, Coach White and, and Kyle Church on my staff now, he was our operations guy at Florida. They said, you at least need to go check it out. And before you get to Boca, it's Delray Beach, the next town just north of us on, on Interstate 95. And for whatever reason, the GPS kicked us out in, in Delray, uh, and that's never happened since. But I take A1A into Boca and was blown away at the, at the area and was like, wow, this, I can really live in a place where uh, people come to vacation and yeah. the quality of life is this great. So um, that really, uh, my antennas went up, I guess, the first time I saw the area and the community. And then it just felt right. Uh, I guess it's a kind of a right time, right place deal where the, the president, Dr. Kelly and Brian White, both wanted to grow the university through athletics. So they were going to be committed to helping us win. And then, uh, uh, we weren't a very good team when we started. We signed 10 guys our first year and kind of pieced it together and, and had some bad luck with injuries, but still managed to, to, to gain some respect. Now, Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned you know, what you saw that sold you on it. Um, did, did they sell you also on where they believe you can take it? Because it's also, Dusty, as you know this, you've been – to a lot of places where they they need to sell you on how invested they're going to be in athletics and in particular the men's basketball program was that an easy sell for you did they hit all the right marks in telling you what their vision might have been not really john outside of being at florida um i felt like i'd always been at places that had less that had to do more with less when we were at louisiana tech uh, we had probably the worst budget in the league and and you know, we, we took bus trips, and, and to be honest, I love that because of the connection you have with the players of, of long bus rides, of being in an airport, of spending, you know, the, the, the grunt days with them as opposed to just jumping on a, on a charter. Uh, and, and we've always had to make it work without a, a big recruiting budget. So um, I was none of those things scared me. Um, like I said, other than Florida, we'd, we'd always had less. So um, you always wish you had more and, and, and all that, but – I just felt like this area, the staff, we could recruit good guys uh, that loved ball as much as we did. And anytime you can, 
think Steve Spur used to say, you know, a lot of people work their entire lives to retire to a place like this, and, and we're giving these guys a chance at 18 uh, to live in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot to sell down here. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Dusty Mays, the head coach of the 21st-ranked Florida Atlantic Owls with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I would imagine, too, and I'm just not talking about Mike White, but the, the entire White family and how embedded they have been in collegiate athletics that seemed like a pretty good group, and certainly Mike was somebody that has played a significant role in your evolution as a coach, correct, to where you are now? Absolutely, and even more than just their family, who's I, I, they're all uh, tied in uh, entrenched in college basketball. Just Dr. White's uh, former assistants that are all over the country at one point had maybe 50 sitting ADs that had worked for him yeah. or worked with him in some capacity. So obviously that network is, is pretty cool, but um, you know, they, they, they've done more for me as far as advice and, and, and growth opportunities and things like that than, than jobs. Yeah. It, um, it is amazing when you look at their family and of course um, you, you look at Kevin White is uh, the former AD at Duke and just how many, yeah, how many connections that they have across, you know, college basketball or certainly collegiate athletics. Uh, is amazing. Dusty May is with us. We got in a little bit on your team, and I mentioned that I didn't get a chance to go with David Hayes and Dusty Hayes, uh, Dustin Hayes, and uh, who else went with that? I think Fabio went, right? Fobbs was down there Fabio with went, you guys. Fobbs was down there, yeah. Kurt Sullivan, nice Kurt Sullivan was down there, right? Kurt was there, yeah. We had a nice contingency. I think, I think Western gave us 50 tickets, and I think I used 45 of them. Well, uh, and eventually had had to tell people no, that so our our players could get a few tickets. I think David Hayes tried to invite me, but in in typical Hayes fashion, he asked me like when he was on the road five minutes before he passed through <laughs> Indy. Um, so it was uh, very he, convenient. Miles north when he called, yeah, I, I was that. I was also scared that maybe I would not make it back. Uh, that also played a role with that particular group. But um, yeah, the level headedness of Dustin Hayes also played a role right there. But man. It, it is great. It, it probably makes you feel good when you get, you know, the, the the friends like we have. And, you know, you get, you know, Green County, that portion where we grew up, you know, everybody kind of getting behind you and, and hearing this particular story. And some, Dusty, some may be hearing this, even if they know you and know you a great deal, maybe hearing this story for a, a, a first time. It's a great one. It really is. You know, John, I still think back to when I fell in love with the game and it was, you know, my mom signed me up for Eastern Bitty basketball and I wore sweatpants because I was so aggressive and had floor burns on my knees. And then watching you guys play and the, the excitement, the energy in that gym, uh, every home game. And then obviously Coach Barnheiser's, uh, his, his passion for the game rubbed off on all of us. So very, very fortunate to grow up in the environment group where people love the game. Uh, everyone was hardworking. They're great teammates. So all of those things are you know, really what what our team is, has on display now. It's uh, Dusty Mays, the head coach of Florida Atlantic. He mentions to Mark Barnheiser, who not only is a friend of ours, but was the head coach at Eastern Eastern Green back when, when Dusty was the point guard there. Um, and it was always interesting, no doubt about that. But if you're not going to find a better coach around, and Mark presently at Lafayette, Jeff, uh, typically doing a, a great job as as he's done up there as well but I, I would agree with you there is nobody as a coach and you would know this because you actually played for him but nobody as a coach whether you played for him or not that would want to challenge you and make you run through walls and do things that you wouldn't ordinarily believe you can do more than than he did how much of that that being coached that way in high school rubbed off on you well, obviously, my delivery is much different, but my expectations and standards are the exact same as Coach Barnheiser's. You you bring it every single day. That's your responsibility as a teammate. If you want to be great, there are no days off of effort, and you have to outwork and outcompete uh, whoever you're playing against. So, ultimately, those are the lessons that I really learned from Coach Barnheiser. But most importantly, just the passion and love of the game. There's the, there's nothing that I've enjoyed doing more than watching, coaching, teaching all the things that go into this game outside of my family. It's really the only uh, hobby that I have. And, and I have to give coach Barnheiser a, a, a big a chunk of credit for that. So. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Dusty May, Ford Atlantic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. How much you take away from those stops? And I want to get into you, you know, kind of evolving as even more so a, a fan of coaching basketball as you were a manager at, at IU. But how much you take away from that and then some of these other stops, you know, just beyond playing for Mark Barnheiser in high school, beyond being with Mike White on the bench at Louisiana Tech and at Florida. How much of that do you take away from those other stops into your coaching ability right now? I take a lot from every stop and everyone that I've worked for. And, and even my first uh, true full-time job after Indiana was USC under Henry Bibby, who ran the program like a, more of an NBA franchise. So even that contrast from what I'd grown up in, I think really helped my development. And, and it, it caused me to, to look at things a little bit differently and not be so, I guess, uh, uh, I guess narrow-minded when, when it comes to hoops and, and everything within the game and outside of the game. So, um, living all over the country, seeing basketball in different regions, but there's at the end of the day, there's a way that you believe the game should be played, and there's a way that coaches enjoy watching the game. And and what you want to do is, is try to have your team uh, doing the you really believe are, are the most important things in basketball. And, and uh, you know our guys are a blast to coach, and, and we've tried to we've tried to bring that down here uh, with, with our team. Are you all surprised? at the results so far 18 consecutive listen i know you i know you well enough to know that you, you want to win every time you go out there and you probably expect to win every time out there but this level of success so far being ranked in the top 25 for the first time in program history is this with this group something that you expected when the season began well john we knew we were very talented and and, and there were several coaches in our league that that made numerous comments to, to random people that we had the best team coming back this year. And we were able to return eight of our top nine, and then we had one more uh, player who uh, – I'm sorry, we returned seven of our top eight, and then one of our players was injured uh, last year that played significant minutes the year before. So essentially we had eight of our top nine players returning, and then we had a, a transfer rotation player from UConn in addition to a couple of junior college and high school players that we were at. And so we knew we were going to be very competitive and this could, this could be a breakthrough year, but we also felt like we were really close in year one before we had a couple of major injuries. And then last year we felt like we were much better than our record. We won 19 games and felt like we found a way to lose about five or six games, whether it was at the free throw line, timely mistakes, whatever the case, just found ways to lose. So we even we felt like we had a 20 to 25 win team last year if you just take the results aside and we had an amazing off season our chemistry was great our guys worked uh, harder than any group we've had so we sensed this was going to be a breakthrough year obviously you never anticipate winning 18 games in a row there's just too many things that can happen with injuries and bad calls bad breaks whatever the case so Dusty Bay is the head coach of Florida Atlantic, 19-1, and 9-0 and zero in Conference USA leading the way. Dusty's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I've asked this. Josh Schertz is the head coach of Indiana State. He's been on before I ask him this. Uh, with the way college basketball is now, uh, via the transfer portal, NIL, uh, we know the effect it has had, let's say, for example, Dusty, on the Power Fives, right? What type of effect has it had with you and your program, if at all? We've had limited, uh, uh, very little attrition uh, roster-wise. Our guys, they really love each other. They're great teammates. Uh, Our staff has an amazing relationship with them. So we haven't really been hit uh, hard by the transfer portal or what comes with it. Obviously, this year, with the tension our guys are getting, it could be completely different. But we don't worry about it. We control what we can control. Obviously, we want our guys to do the absolute best they can off the floor for themselves and their families. But it's not something that we spend a lot of time worrying about. We try to provide the absolute best environment for their learning and their growth and their development. And if they don't think it's for them, then we don't really uh, want them here anyway. So it's, it's worked out well. Um, and and the, the funny thing about Coach Shirts. Um, I was born in Terre Haute, and he was born in Boa. So there's a little <laughs> <laughs> ironic history. <laughs> yeah, they kind of hit uh, they hit a, a rough patch here recently in the Mo Valley after a a really good start. And I, I just I, I, the curiosity is this with me with with both of the aspects of the transfer portal and NIL. And I think you bring up a good point because now. Your team is getting that spotlight, and others are seeing your team, and then your team, your guys are, are having this level of success, and it kind of makes you wonder, 
what's further down the road. Do you allow yourself to think about how, again, the landscape of college basketball, and especially for you, could change and and try to prepare for it? Or are you just kind of riding this thing day to day as it's going right now? No, our jobs as coaches are to problem solve and, and get out ahead of problems. So uh, we talk about those things. We figure out what's the best uh, way to cope with them. But at the end of the day, if a player wants to leave and he wants to go into the portal, there's not much you can do. Um, there's, we've even talked about it. If, if our guys want to go into the portal, there's not going to be a big beg them to stay and this and that. Usually their mind's already made up. We'll shake hands and, and, and let them know how much we appreciated what they did for the program. And then it's, it's on to coaching the guys who really want to be here and value what, what we do. He's an old Miss now, but how was your relationship? Because I believe Lane Kiffin was there, right, at, at your early stages yeah. as the football coach? He was. Lane was here for a couple years. And Lane was actually at USC when I was there as a young video administrative guy. And, and they played, their staff played new basketball with us a lot. Pete Carroll, Lane, Steve Sarkeesian. So I knew him a little bit uh, just through probably uh, fouling him a couple times in noon ball. Um, wait, 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 hold, 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 hold. You play, wait, I got to hear this, all right? Because you, 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 you know who you're talking to, noon ball yeah. guy extraordinaire right here. You, what do these noon ball games look like at USC back in the day? All right, John, so now with the, with the arms race of facilities, Everyone has Taj Mahal practice facilities and arenas. Well, when I was there, we played the L.A. Sports Arena, which was about uh, – I, I don't know how it wasn't condemned at that point. Uh, <laughs> it, it was as bad of a facility as there was in the country, and it wasn't on campus. It was a mile or two from campus uh, right by Memorial by – the, by the Coliseum. And then our practice facility was literally the gymnasium in Blue Chips where they went down and found Shaq. <laughs> and if you remember, it, it's dark. There's a there's, uh, chain-link fence on the windows. Yeah. Um, it 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 wouldn't it wouldn't be a, a high level middle school gym in Indiana, in Indiana. Just put it that way. And that was our practice facility. Now there were two courts going side by side, so there were so many guys playing. And Lisa Leslie would play with us. Dennis Thurman was on staff football. We had and the whole entire administration would play. So the, the noon ball games were they they were on point, and they started at noon every day. So Pete Carroll he played. He was up there playing rugby. Uh, basketball. It, it was a lot of fun, but yeah, the football coaches, uh, they would they would come. Yeah, Coach Carroll's defense would make Coach Barheiser proud. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm a, uh, I've never heard this story about Pete Carroll playing defense against you. What the hell? Why am I hearing uh, this for a first play. damn time? <laughs> well, what stays, what stays, what happens in a gym stays in a gym. I'm, I'm not proud of some of those moments. That, that <laughs> any gym I've been in, there, there's, a, there's a dark side to it. I found a way to get in a fight with someone. That is well, yeah. I mean, well, that was that was commonplace, even going back to Eastern and, and people. There are some around here that know because they participated at Perry Meridian when we did it, but nobody really knows what went down at Eastern from like 5:45 until. 8 a.m. every single morning. It was wild. It was. Well, John, that's a good thing that people don't know what happened in those gyms or the, the language in which you that's, that's probably healthy. So Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. His Owls, one loss, 21st ranked, uh, winners of what, 18 consecutive, playing incredibly well right now. I didn't want to close out the USC portion. You were the videographer uh, for Henry Bibby on that team that lost to Brett Blizzard, right, in UNC Wilmington when – if. USC would have won. That was Jeff Trapanier and, and Sam Clancy's team. You guys would have played IU, correct, in the second round? That's correct. We, we went to the Elite Eight the year before, everyone but Scalabrini back, essentially. And we the first TV, everyone was already anointing us as a Final Four, uh, Final Four team. We go to the second. It's Utah. Uh, right after we get upset by UNC Wilmington, and I believe Brad Brownell was an assistant on that staff. Brett Blizzard was the leading scorer for Wilmington, and Jerry Wainwright was the head coach. But really good mid-major team, but uh, without a doubt, it was a bad matchup for us. But we were looking ahead to Indiana or Utah and even down the line to Duke or whoever else we were going to play next. All right, so I've heard rumors uh, that some dude named Fife has been down observing practices this year, too. Uh, how much do you attribute him being down there to what your team has accomplished so far? 
Well, that was the uh, that was the, the the time of the year when we kind of hit a, a road bump. Uh, we, we faltered a little bit. <laughs> now, it was, it's great. Dane and I spent a lot of time together at, when we were working together. When he was the GA his first year back, and I was in the, the video room at Indiana, we spent a lot of time just talking philosophy, talking basketball. And I, I believe that both of us really shaped each other's views and opinions. And, and uh, we argued, we fought, uh, we, we talked, we chatted. So Dane and I go way, way back uh, to when we started our coaching journey. And, and we were actually talking yesterday and, and we both almost forgot that I actually worked for him at, at IPFW for about three hours. Uh, and then I took another job. So. <laughs> the <laughs> the three hour, the three hour job status you had there. Yeah. I accepted the position. We went and looked at houses and then the next day I, I think I accepted a job somewhere else. So, uh, that's college basketball. Everything happens quickly. Well, I, I think you, you noticed this, and I, I I talked to Matt Painter last week, and you know I know that uh, that Dane has been up there. Dane, Dane has so much going and so much more. Um, I just I want him to be happy, and I know that he's enjoying his time with his family, and obviously his daughter's playing basketball and stuff too. I think she's the same age as my daughter Lainey. But, man, he's got so much more basketball knowledge to offer. Um, it, I wouldn't tell him this, but I, I hope that he gets another chance to do something somewhere because he's just he got a lot. He's just too much basketball for me to kind of leave that hanging right now, I guess. Yeah, Dane's always been a great sounding board for me. If I ask questions on defense or just something, he thinks outside the box. He doesn't just follow conventional wisdom. And, yeah, Dane, Dane – uh, and, and we talked about it this year um, – you know, it, it, it's great for him. He, he's away from the game. He's seeing different programs. I've told people that I feel like I became a 100% better basketball coach during COVID, where I almost treated it like a, a sabbatical to study, learn. I really dig deep into offense, really dig deep in some other areas that I wasn't um, as good as I needed to be. And since then, I've thought that every coach at some point in their career needs to take a year off and just study, learn, really reevaluate themselves the I, I guess do a deep dive and almost like a self scout and who you are. And I, I think Dane's doing that now. And, and uh, he seemed uh, reinvigorated. He seemed ready to, to get back into it. And uh, he, he brings a lot to the game. So I, I couldn't agree with you more, John. Yeah. He, um, it, it's, it's interesting too, because I, I remarked a little bit earlier before you came on, you, you, you um, you stand out to me as somebody, Dusty, that you've coached nearly everywhere at so many different levels, and, and you've earned what you have right now. And to watch you through you know, this season to this point, you know, see this all kind of come together and, and reaping the benefit with you and your team and, and Florida Atlantic, it, it's extra special. It really is extra special to see. I'm very happy for you because it could not happen to a better person. Well, I appreciate it, John. A lot of work's gone into it by a lot of people, and uh, we have a lot. We have a lot, a lot further to go. That's that's the you know having these conversations two thirds through a season doesn't seem right, but we're very confident that we can continue the the, the run and, and have a great season. But I have so much respect for this profession, and I don't take it for granted uh, that I'm able to do this. Because all I ever wanted to do was be a high school coach in the state of Indiana. So I've surpassed all dreams and expectations I had for myself, but. Uh, I pinch uh, myself daily, but I know that if I was back coaching in Greene County or Lawrence County or Monroe County, wherever, uh, at, at this stage of my career, I'd be just as happy coaching ball and helping young guys. Yeah, until the school board meeting happens. And <laughs> <Well, laughs> then you forget about that for a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the school board and transfer portal are on <laughs> are on even status. It's Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic. I would advise everybody, too, that you play next. You play Middle Tennessee State, and that's at 7 o'clock on the 26th. That is on CBS Sports Net. I know a lot of people, if you have direct TV or you know whatever your capability is, if you have a sports package, CBS Sports Net is on it. And I would advise everybody to check out Dusty's Florida Atlantic Owls in that next matchup with Middle Tennessee State. Historically speaking, within Conference USA or basketball in general, Middle Tennessee State will bring it. They will. They, they historically they have a great program. They've had a lot of recent success. They actually, we finished second to them last year in Conference USA East. And uh, so it, it's kind of a revenge tour game for our guys. Uh, but they, they're a tough matchup and a, and a very, very well coached and a good program. So it's, it's going to be a battle, but 
we'll have a sold out arena. Um, John, our first couple of years, if you came down here and visited, you'd probably have a section to yourself. And now we're, we're probably the biggest ticket in South Florida outside of the heat. So um, very, very cool to see that see people uh, get behind our players. That's awesome too. That is, that is, and that's that's one thing that yeah. I mean, winning will breed that. There's no doubt about it. But I'm assuming, you know, just knowing what you know about that particular area in sports, winning really does bring them out there. I mean, above all else, does it not? Well, winning does, but also the way you play the game. I, I think basketball is the one sport with the way you play and the way you compete and the desire you, you compete with. It, it, it brings people and and when they do come to see it, they're, they want to come back. So um, I think it's a combination of the winning, uh, the, the media attention, and also just the way our guys play the game. All right. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, I'm uh, incredibly happy, uh, without question, proud. Anna and the kids, everybody okay? Everybody's great. Yeah, Jack's at Florida for Coach Golden now, and Charlie's actually walking on at UCF under Coach Dawkins. And then Eli has a game in a little bit uh, for St. Andrews down here in South so, Florida. Um, so Charlie is going to play with um, uh, what Joey Hart's kid next year then, right? He will. Yeah, he, yeah. he actually hosted uh, Joey on his official visit. Ah. Uh, to, to Orlando. Yeah, so it's a pretty cool connection. And then uh, Joey's teammate, Logan Webb, is, is my cousin, my second cousin. So, yeah, we have some connection to the minors. It's, it's ironic that two, uh, two Green County guys end up at, at Central Florida together. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. You're just all, you're all Florida through and through right now. So, and I know wait, when you bring Fabio down there, I know the ladies are probably going wild wherever you go with him. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that's another. I, I think I, that's another uh, Barnheiser. That's, yes, that's another trade I inherited from Coach Barnheiser and, and the ability to nickname anyone and everyone. Yeah, no doubt about that. Hey, man, I'm really happy for you. My best of the family, and make sure you tell your team this whenever you guys meet again at practice or whatever. There is no way in the hell you guys can lose against Middle Tennessee State because that's going to be put on me around here after having you on. That'd be the bad karma of going on with me. So this is a must-win situation coming up here on the 26th, okay? Hopefully the John Jinx doesn't uh, Oh, doesn't God, please don't. I'd have to hear from Chris Reed and everybody about how a big jinx I am. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> My right, man, yeah. we'll stay in touch. On, man. I appreciate yeah, that. You. Stay in touch, and we'll do it again soon. It's uh, Dusty May as the head coach of Florida Atlantic.